Warning, the following podcast may contain material that is inappropriate for listeners that are under the age of 18, are easily offended, or get annoyed listening to the rantings of holier-than-thou-know-it-alls that are anything but. Hey, this is E.K. Weaver. I draw crap. Uh, I have an internet website. That's bigbigtruck.com with dashes between the words. You're listening to Anime World Order. What's up, and welcome to another episode of Anime World Order. This is show number 20, and we're looking at, what the hell, like late May, let's hope for, <laughs> since uh, we don't really want to get the dates exact anymore. I'm introducing this episode because everybody else is eating. That's right. I, yeah. I woke up about 20 minutes ago, <laughs> and I was like, damn, I'm hungry, but we have to record an episode. Oh, well. <laughs> I'll live out the dream like what Brett Weaver and everyone wants to do on the Puni Puni Poemi commentary track and just eat food while recording. I'm sure all of our fans really want to know, what are you guys eating? Human flesh. Oh, good. <laughs> Baby seals. Oh, good. Well, we haven't even introduced ourselves. I'm Gerald, and as always with me are uh, Daryl mm-hmm. and Clarissa. Rad. And Surratt and Clarissa. Yeah, you gotta have the well, second name in there, because otherwise people won't well, know the difference between who we are. the two of us. Yeah. I got a complaint last week that I spent too much time talking about my name. I went back, I looked at the episode, 45 seconds. That's too much time. It is. Nobody wants to hear about you, Daryl. <laughs> well, halfway about you, too. Really? Oh, well. Clarissa, you're here, too, aren't you? Yeah. So, yeah, what are we doing this week? Well, What do we do every week? Well, Fail at life. Pretty much. And in that failing of life, I'm going to be taking a look at this $80 box set for the Pat Labor the Movie. We've been talking about this release pretty much since the first episode, so now we actually finally get to review it. And what are you guys doing? Well, I am reviewing the new shoujo anime, Oran High School Host Club. And I, Daryl Surratt, have taken it upon myself to review the uh, really cool and excellent... Oh, God. Release from manga video. Chorus! And the one they called Garrett did come. A mender was he, and trickery and stealth were his weapons. Then Chorus, the brave, did seize him, and then smote him right down with the venom of truth and the mace of the righteous. Praise <laughs> You know if it comes from manga video, it's going to be quality. Oh, yes. Yes. Be sure to email us at animeworldorder at gmail.com. Be sure to visit our website where you can check out all the show notes and pictures and everything at animeworldorder.com. Be sure when you're there to leave your name on the Frapper page. And be sure to give us a call at 206-666-4AWO. That's 206-666-4296. What we prefer is if you would record an, an MP3 and send that to us through the email address as well. Yeah, because sometimes people, if you have a really bad phone connection and you leave the voicemail on the phone number thing, it just sounds really bad. Whereas also, if you just 
use Skype or something like that. Since what? Skype is free to call anywhere in the U.S. and Canada now. Yeah. We, we spent that money for nothing. Oh, ten bucks. Yeah. And we Again, spent, we like, less than half of that in our total interviews with Tim Eldred. And I also <laughs> noticed that it's, it's really difficult to do those uh, voicemail recordings because it kind of beeps and then you're on the spot. And you have to say it and you can't mess up or anything. Yeah, we have a lot yeah. of voicemail messages where it's like, oh, I forgot what I was going to say. Yeah, so if you send us an email, you can go back and re-record that until you get it just right. Because I know the feeling. I hate answering machines. Wonderful email that we get. And this one is, again, by our good friend Brad Veer. He wrote in last week, and he's from Southern Africa. And, uh, wrote in, this in all week, caps. Yes, the screaming loud email. And he learned his lesson. He has now written, not in all caps. But, Woo-hoo! well, let's see. The, uh, the title <laughs> of it is Southern African Fan Dame plus Full Metal Panic 7, The Horror. says, hey guys, it's me, Brad Veer, again. Thanks for reading my email in show number 18. Just in response to your question about Southern African fan dame, for the 16 years I've lived there, I haven't really come across any die-hard anime fans, but I have come across occasional viewers as four anime clubs and such. I've never come across those either. What does that mean? I think he's saying he's never seen anime clubs in South Africa. I had to resort to hustling in order to get some form of anime. At least since I now stay in the UK, I have tones more access. UK anime fans say they have it tough, but they have no idea there's a wealth more anime here than some other places. Please, could you review Full Metal Panic Fum Ofu? This was a brilliant show, unlike Full Metal Panic 7. 7? Which was shit, and made me divert all my attention to some cheap Slovakian vodka, which was just as shit, and accompanied the shit anime I was watching. Towards the end, I noticed a picture of a burning house on the side of the bottle. This probably represented my soul after watching such poorly done dribble. (laughs) <laughs> Thanks and cheers for keeping up the good work. Actually, I should say that again. Thanks and cheers for keeping up the good work! <laughs> I'm assuming uh, he's talking about the original Full Metal Panic, since that's the weakest out of the three series. I don't know, though. I would hope so, because if um, he is, I would agree. Yeah, unless Full Metal they Panic made is good. four other Full Metal Panic shows yeah. that none of us knew yeah. about. <laughs> yeah, and he says, it, he says seven a couple of times. So, Brad Veer, if you're listening, could you clarify? Yeah, uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I mean, if he actually speaks English as his first language or not. I maybe he means tell. maybe he got seven confused with two. In which case, I don't know. I I liked Second Raid. It was disappointingly short. It was only like half the length of the first season, which is sad because it was better than the first season. But I, right. I think that the main problem with the first season was just was Gonzo did it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Beat me to it. <laughs> and the problem with that was just. You get the first couple of episodes, mm-hmm. which are awesome, and then everything else is, yeah. is shit. I think they took out too much of the humor, and I don't yes. know really why they did that. I feel they couldn't decide what they wanted to make it. Yeah, mm-hmm. do you like, want to be the bright, cheery, school drama kind of show, or do you want to be the super right. serious military Well, from what I anime. understand, I haven't actually read the Full Metal Panic manga, but from what I understand, the, the manga, and also I assume the original novels are a pretty even balance of both at the same time. Well, this isn't like, a balance the stuff, both at the same time. It's right, like, right. What I'm saying is, like, you were mentioning they couldn't decide what they wanted to be, and I'm saying the original couple formats, as far as I know, had both. And some of the stuff that happened during Full Metal Panic Fumofu actually happened in with some of the stuff that happened in the first anime season. So I don't I know... Think the- 
I think the answer to that is that Gonzo is an incompetent studio. I think they tried to decide. Well, I think they decided they, so they wanted to be the serious show, writing. and it backfired. Yeah. yeah, and I'm really glad that they went the good direction with Fumofu and made it just a comedy. Well, it wasn't Gonzo comedy. who made Fumofu. Exactly, right. yeah. That was right. a smart did they move. make the second raid? Nope, they didn't. Another good move. Yeah. So. Speaking of Full Metal Panic, we got another email from Derek Liu, who says, Hi, this is just a quick email to thank Clarissa for adamantly saying fuck Tessa from Full Metal Panic. I really like Full Metal Panic, mostly because of its characters, which would explain why the first season sucked so much, because character development can tend to take something of a backseat when there's giant robots shown in action scenes. Fumofu in the second raid I enjoyed a lot more because it had the nice character interaction, the humor of the manga, and in my opinion, some actual character growth in the case of the second raid. Plus, the animation was top-notch. When I first got into FMP, I was looking at fan sites and was shocked to find that most people were all about the Tessa love. WTF. All I could think was she doesn't do anything. Yeah, captain of a secret military sub, sure, but she has virtually no interesting character traits other than that. Chidori is so much more awesome than Tessa on just about every level. She's strong, independent, cute, and is really pretty much the only person who can scare Sosuke. This Tessa love infuriated slash confused me just as much as all the Sasami fanboys for Tenchi Muyo. I guess it's part of the whole Moe thing, which by the way, there is a surprisingly good article about it on Wikipedia, which you guys will probably want to read since you were talking about it briefly in your latest episode. So I guess this wasn't such a quick email. Anyway, thank you Clarissa for saying what needed to be said. Thank you for agreeing with me, because it seems like I'm the only person in the world sometimes who doesn't like Tessa. If you say anything bad about Tessa, it's like, oh my god, you're so mean, Tessa is so cute. But Both no, of you I think everything. He, I think the question was answered. Why yeah. do people like Tessa so much? Terrible Dark Spectre Moe. Yeah, I think so. Is. Bunch of pedophiles you know in the house. And she looks like Ruri or... Hey, but Cardcaptor Sakura is a good show, and Sakura is a good character. (laughs) I think what bothers me the most about Tessa is is just that her characterization and the job that she does don't feel like they mesh together and they don't feel organic. We need to have a reason for her to be in the show, so uh, let's make her super smart and a whispered, and we'll make her the captain of the sub, even though... It makes not really much sense, given her abilities, why she would be captaining the sub as opposed to, like, working in a lab. I don't know. I don't they know. grow those Ruri clones in vats, folks. Anyway. Yeah. No more talking about Full Metal Panic. All right. We got a email from Elaine Mendez, who sent us the MP3 email thing last week. Once again, he's got all his stuff in bullet points, so here we go. Number one, is anyone from AWO going to go to Anime Expo? If no one can make it from AWO, I'm willing to try to ask any questions at the CLAMP panel or any other panel you may want to ask. Consider a payment for taking questions from Monkey Punch. I'm also willing to try to write up a transcript of the panel for the podcast, if you'd like that. Well, none of us are going to Anime Expo. We Not are this poor. Year. <laughs> Gerald and I are heading off to Otakon. Yeah, we... Uh, yeah. I registered. Bastards. I bought my plane ticket. Otakon is going to cost me more money than going to every single other con this year. <laughs> I know. Damn, Baltimore is such a, an expensive city. Oh, yeah, wow. I enjoy going to Otakon, but Baltimore is so expensive, and it's such a dangerous city, man. So yeah, and questions we're going to, get tons to ask of emails at Clamp. Dear I'm going to have to think about why that. Why can't you fucking write? That's a good one. <laughs> to answer in front of thousands yeah. of fangirls, too. It's going to be just the nexus of Clamp lunatic people at Expo this year. <clears throat> be a really good question to ask. But yeah, we'd really like if you would... <laughs> 
do transcriptions of the interesting get, panels and get together with know, Bronson. Man. They need to get together with Bronson and they do the art and Bronson does the story. To, yeah, that'd be really. Would good. that work? It'd be like some horrible ab aborted like fetus of of shonen and shojo. I don't but know. Just, if that can would, you imagine? They've already this made the North that. Star clamp. I could. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> well, look, if... It sounds terrifying. If Bronson can work with Ikigami under the Shofumimura pen name, since Bronson's a pen name too, then mm. he can work with Clamp. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. So, so Clamp needs to get the people who did the art for X, whichever ones of them did that, to work with Bronson, and then you've got some magic there. Exactly. <laughs> Number two, speaking of asking questions of Monkey Punch, could you ask Monkey Punch on what he thinks of the modern Japanese anime industry? What does he think its current health is? Where does he think it's headed? It's sort of a generic question, but I always like to hear what people in the industry think of the industry. We'll try and do that, Elaine, but yeah. keep sending in the monkey punch questions to us since the con's getting real close. Thus far, we've not gotten practically any questions from monkey punch. We got, like, one question that I was going to ask him anyway about his new show that's coming out, and that's it. So, mm -hmm. come on. You want to know something from the dude who created Lupin Third? Send us an email. Let's find yeah. out. Yeah. Question number three. What is everyone's feeling on the melancholy of Harui Suzumiya? Also, what's your opinion of the Galaxy Angel series and all its various iterations? I think I'm the only person who's watched any of Harui Suzumiya. It's too new. There's only like, th what, five episodes or something out? Or um, even less than that? It's at least five. I have to check. I'm not caught up. I've only actually watched like the first three episodes or so. I think the first episode was incredibly strange, and it was a little hard to get through. After that, I don't know, I, I like it so far. The main character is pretty amusingly insane, but I'm not really sure. It seemed like it started out as a pretty harsh mockery of Moe and the kind of crap that they make for otaku, but I'm not sure if it's really going to stay like that or if it's going to fall into being exactly the sh kind of show that it seemed to be making fun of. At the very beginning. Because it's based yeah. off some novels or something, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Which I'm is hoping... not... Yeah, I mean, that's pretty common. Yeah, I'm hoping that it ends up being funny as opposed to the school drama mm -hmm. kind of shit. Mm. Oh, no, it's definitely funny. Okay. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, I've seen clips of the first one where it was just, you know, the parody of all those shows yes. about high school students with, you know, super special powers. And... Yeah, she's secretly a battle maid from the future. With it's that, got a bunny so... girl with an AK. <laughs> There's promise in that, but the thing is, yeah. is it's too easy to have that fall apart, which is why right. I, I'm not just going to watch through this whole show based on the immense promise of the first episode, because I always seem to get let down more often than not, and so I just mm -hmm. wait for the show to be over. We actually got a review in the iTunes music store from a guy I know, a guy named Quentin, saying how we are apparently too biased towards older shows and seem to hate on newer shows and newer trends in anime. So now we're going to change the whole show, and it's going to be Naruto World Order. Yes. That's all we're going to talk about is Naruto. Congratulations! Well, we're already going to be like every single other anime podcast there is, but talking about Oron, I got yeah, nothing well. against it. So. Yeah, I haven't seen Galaxy Angel. I've seen some of Galaxy Angel. It was super, super highly recommended to me by tons and tons of people. And I just Mike? didn't watch it, and then I watched the first episode, and I just, I thought it was bad, and then people said, oh, it gets better after that, but I just never de Was that the Kaishaku show? No, no. No. Not, not that. No, okay. Trust Galaxy Mike. Angel, 
A lot of people say it's really funny, but the problem is, I think what it is, is that it might be a case where it's a good show, but the fans are super annoying anyway, like Ozumanga <laughs> Dayo. It took me forever to even be convinced that watching Ozumanga Dayo would be a good idea, because the hmm. people who support that show are pretty terrible people, for the most part. Maybe Galaxy Angel's the same way. A lot of people agree that the first few episodes of the first season aren't all that good, and then it just gets really funny. Mm. I don't know, there's three seasons of it out, and once upon a time, I before it was licensed, I downloaded, like, the full seven gigs or whatever, <laughs> watched one episode, deleted the whole thing. And <laughs> we'll get back to you on that, maybe. Point four, he links to the poll and anime news network on why do you go to anime conventions. So it seems mm-hmm. like something worth mentioning, because all the things we seem to dislike about anime cons tend to be the popular stuff. This is interesting, and I looked at that. I was surprised to see how high up on that list things like... Dealer's the- Room is a mystery to me, because for the mm-hmm. most part, Dealer's Room and Anime Con is not yeah. anything Wait, special anymore. What I think is interesting is if you look way down at the bottom, Anime Dances, yeah. Karaoke, percent Being in the Masquerade, Concerts by American Musicians, i.e. Piano Squall, those things are way down at the bottom. Maybe Most we're not know. that alone. I almost feel like people were voting what they think they should vote be almost instead of what they actually go there to do maybe i don't know they wouldn't admit it i don't know i there's no way to gauge that all right here's the hard question can you recommend any good books for getting started on studying anime from an academic perspective i can mention two authors i always recommend uh frederick schote he uh, wrote Manga Manga, the, the World of Japanese Comics, yeah. and he wrote Dreamland Japan, which came out much more recently. And those are yeah. generally considered the definitive works on manga. They are very good, yes. Yeah, they're getting up in the years. They're slightly hard to find, but you can get them used on mm-hmm. Amazon for pretty yeah. cheap. They've got some good. other ones that are kind of tough to come by, too, but those are the main ones. Yeah, mm-hmm. Manga Manga was written in 1984 or so. It yep. was actually one of the very earliest English language things on that. There, and there were a few others later around that time. Avoid Samurai from Outer Space. Uh, that's a very bad one. Another writer to look for is Helen McCarthy. She's done some pretty decent books on it. Yeah, and Helen McCarthy, she wrote Hayao Miyazaki, Master of Japanese Animation. Right. She also wrote things like the Anime Encyclopedia, which I think is a good reference thing just mm-hmm. to have. Maybe not necessarily for an academic perspective, but just so you can have this resource, it's really good. Mm-hmm. And then I think that the best resource you're going to find is probably Susan Napier. Susan and Napier, her books think about are Napier. really, really hard to read. Yeah, she's they not... They are like dissertations, basically. They basically are that. A lot of the academic perspective books on studying anime were, in fact, somebody's paper mm-hmm. that they got expanded into a book. The thing about Napier is it's got all this content, and a lot of times I'll be reading it and I'll say, well, this is bullshit. Mm-hmm. but she'll I, just that, talk about it from an academic pers- perspective, and I get the feeling like, hmm, maybe you can argue anything from an academic perspective and have it sound cool. I yeah. actually attended one of her panels at Otakon some years ago. I believe it was her. And she actually has some very interesting things to say if you can attend one of her panels. She actually goes over how what is happening now in Japanese anime fandom has already happened in France around the 1700s or 1800s, something like that. It was all very interesting. The one book that she's got out, which I'm blanking on the name, it's something like from Akira to... Oh, right. The new edition of it is actually anime from Akira to Howl's Moving Castle. Okay, that's the new edition. Yeah, reading through that, she'll oftentimes sort of generalize things. She's Harvard-educated, so take what you want from that. 
another author that is the man, well, he would be more of the man if we could pronounce his name right. Yeah, that's the only reason we've been holding off on it. We always look at his name, and I've seen the dude in person, and it's like, uh, Guillaume Poitras, yeah. is that it? Yeah, we, we don't he's, know. He's posted in the comments on our own podcast. He's listening to the show right now. And I can't say his name. We're but, so ashamed. We're horrible but people. But no, this dude has written some books, people. Yes. Yes. Check out his name for the books that he has written. He's written a lot of them. Let me... Mm-hmm. Just so everyone knows, you spell his name. It's G-I-L-L-E-S-P-O-I-T-R-A-S. That's correct. So, I don't know how to pronounce that. Gilles, could you call it's us... It's not Gilles, man. Gilles, Gilles, Gilles. Could you call us Gilles and pronounce your name? like the evil aquatic nemesis Takara. Uh, <laughs> but no, he's written things like the Anime Companion and um, the Anime Companion Two and stuff like that. So Gillis, call in and yes. pronounce your name. Just all we want to hear is Gillis Quatris or whatever, and then, then put down the phone. That's it. <laughs> we want you to call in, Gil. But he, but he does get this a lot. So which, if you said one book, go to the store, buy this, read it, which would it be? Hmm. I, I actually think that you should them. just stick it to the man and buy well, Paul Gravett's geez. book, the 60 Years of Manga book that got banned. Because <laughs> that that's a good book. That's a good resource, <laughs> academic, discussing things, but it's also got lots of pretty pictures and things like oh, that. God. <laughs> I would probably go with Two Shot, Manga Manga, and Dreamland Japan. Yeah, that's basically where you should just start. The yeah. Manga Manga discusses the history of manga and what manga was like back in the 80s. Don't really think of it that way, though. And then Dreamland Japan discusses kind of the more niche side of it. They'll talk about just how specific some of the anthologies will get and things like that. So I would recommend those. Do any of you have Mm -hmm. a copy of Japan Edge? No, I don't. No. That is a book which is basically compilations of articles from Pulp. So it's all Carl Horn and people like that just writing cool things. Mm -hmm. Are we hurting Patrick Macius by not mentioning a book of his? Yeah. He actually just <laughs> finished Japanese Schoolgirl Inferno. Yeah. So we should <laughs> so. we should plug him and say Cruising the Anime City and Otaku Guide to Neo Tokyo. If you want to learn about that, just listen to mm-hmm. our interviews that we had with him. Yeah. In shows four, five, and six, I think, is when that Yeah, happened. ignore the name of that book. It's better than the name of it is. Finally, last question. You seem to keep wanting to talk about Moe, so here's your chance. What is Moe? I've read a decent amount of articles on it after people kept mentioning it on various websites, but I still don't have a conclusive answer on what it is. I also get the feeling the more I look into what it is, the more I get the feeling no one really has a good definition of what it is. Some shows and characters that clearly fall into the Moe category and others that are clearly not, but there are also a lot of characters that seem to spark the whole what is Moe debate. Then he continues, I was arguing with my friends that Toru Honda from Fruits Basket was a Moe kind of character, not the stereotypical please... Dear God, burn it with fire kind of Moe. But still Moe, because fans will do things while thinking of her. Moe <laughs> things. Interpret that how you may. The character is young, pretty, ditzy, innocent. People often have to run to defend her. She's helpful almost to the point of being subservient. Had to admit she can be a, also be a strong, independent, self-reliant character. But I was figuring Moeers mm. would ignore signs of strong character. What's your opinion? Uh, Thing is, oh, Moe... Is almost all in character design when you think about it. Mm. It's the idea of looking at a picture and have it elicit that response, which is 
the whole desire to protect mm-hmm. this young, innocent girl, usually, or mm-hmm. inevitably. And uh, I always found it to be like this weird well, dichotomy where on the outside, the fans will say, you know, oh, it's don't not want about to, don't I want to have sex. Yeah, don't want to spoil the character by having sex with her, but then they go to Comic Cat and, and fill up on versions. Lowly yeah. porn out mm. there. I know a lot of people have said that the series are not created with the intention of being sexual, but the fans will create the sexual dojins. I don't and know. Yeah, I there mean, are some fans, and I, so I don't know really how many of those series are. But that's a harem show, also. You have to take that into account. A show like Binshotan, I mean, or Bottle Fairy, is there really anything intentionally sexual in the show itself? I guess not, but I guess they right. might also understand that, you know, the fandom around the fans, this is pretty important. Yeah. Part of the problem with talking about Moe is that Moe is not actually centered in the original creation. Moe is centered in the response of the individual person. I think nowadays, And so, though... different people consider different things to be moe. And now they even use it, I hear, for, like, not even, like, characters, like, just other, like, interests or whatever. There's usually characters that you can find that'll be thought of as moe by some people, but that don't fit into the idea of moe that you usually have. So, Elaine but, asks, um, from what I can tell, anyone who would get a very sexy sax solo as their entrance theme and have it be appropriate would not be moe, am I correct? Yeah, yeah, pretty you can't much have not. them exhibit, yeah. you know, femininity to that extent, or right. feminine sexuality to that extent. It's it's against the rules, Elaine. We just mentioned Patrick Macius and Tomohiro Machiyama's book, Cruising the Anime City in Otaku mm-hmm. Gaetino Tokyo. They've got a section on moe, and I believe it was Tomo who wrote that section. I don't have the book in front of me, but he said understanding moe is the most important concept to understanding what's going on with otaku culture in Japan, period. That's what's driving everything kind of now. And the Wikipedia article on Moe is actually fairly decent. It is. Even though Wikipedia can often be full of shit, the Moe (laughs) write-up is a pretty decent thing. Yeah. So that answers Apparently we can blame Miyazaki. Yes, I I said I blame Miyazaki because it all started with Castle Cagliostro and his definition of the ideal female got perverted ever so slightly into the yes. otaku definition of the ideal female. Right. And then the whole Lolicon movement started from there because Clarice is an underage girl being chased after by a much older man. Yeah. Much older men, should I say. Mm-hmm. And the word Lolicon wasn't even used in anime until that movie where Lupin crashes the wedding. Right. And the first yeah. of the count is the Lolicon yeah. And I guess that that lends credence to what Clarissa was saying, and that it's more of a fan movement than a creator movement. Let me just wrap this up by stating mm-hmm. there's one book that's really good that I think you should also buy, and that's Fred Patton's book. Oh, Watching yeah. anime, reading manga, 25 years of essays and reviews by Fred Patton, forward by Carl Masek. That has got 63 articles from Fred about mm-hmm. pretty much everything under the sun regarding anime. I mean, it's academic in the sense that you will learn stuff about it. But right. it's not academic in the way Napier's article is written, because these essays right. were written for fanzies, were written for New Type, or yeah. An America, things like that. So they're more accessible, but there's still the information there, and I right. recommend you get that book. So thanks for that, Elaine. We'll see how much terror that is to edit, since <laughs> yeah. we spent a while talking about that. 
I'll wrap this up then with one final email. This is from Jeff Tatarek. He writes, let this old dog show you some new tricks. I know Daryl's pimped me before as one of the old school AMV sages, so I wanted to drop you a quick line, not only to say thanks for that, but also to show you that I'm still putting new stuff out as well as being in the process of remastering my old stuff. Therefore, I give you Big Damn Cowboys, which is the opening sequence to Joss Whedon's Firefly, reimagined with footage from Cowboy Bebop. I have included links to both the video itself as well as a side-by-side comparison with the original. Enjoy, and since Jeff Tatarek likes Otaku Generation, these are Shrinkster links. So check out shrinkster.com slash f63 and shrinkster.com slash f64 to see those videos that he talked about. I guess we'd better get started on the news segment. Let's news! Working to restore power. Okay, it's the news. And in the news, we've got kind of a correction, clarification, something like that. Retraction. In the last episode, I mentioned that the hentai games Discipline and Bible Black had been licensed. The news source that I got this from was someone who had emailed John Cirabella, the owner of Kitty Media and Media Blasters, directly. And apparently he had said that Bible Black and Discipline had been licensed. And then we got this email from Lemon Rumbler, who basically said, Hi, I follow your updates like I follow news. You've recently reported a bit of info that doesn't seem to be completely correct. It's in regards to Kitty's Media licensing Active Soft Games, Bible, Black, and Discipline. I would sincerely like to know your source for this information, as according to Active Soft, my friend worked there, that company is undergoing major in-house legal problems between former staff members, so much they can't even legally re-release any of their own games, even in Japan, so that I find it almost impossible that Kitty Media could legally publish their games as of this moment overseas. I actually have been trying to confirm this for the past several days, and I would like everyone to go to Media Blaster's site and to Kitty Media's site and try to navigate those sons of bitches. You can't? Don't they are impossible. make people do that? There is no contact information on there. I went to a forum online where I know Cerebella posts. I couldn't find any way to contact You can't from even there. get to the other sections on the site. Forget no content information. Like, you can't even get to the games section of the site because that site is so shitty that nothing except the very main page will load. Yeah, it's really, really bad. So Media Blasters, you need to fire your web designer. It's really unfortunate. It came from what I thought was a pretty reliable person, but apparently it's not, so I can't really say that this is actual news. This was even reported on a Japanese blog or something like that, much to their surprise, so it's very likely that this isn't going to happen. I believe we actually mentioned that in the original news, that this shouldn't be taken as super accurate. As it is now, we probably want to retract that. So, on with other news. News that maybe we won't fuck up on. <laughs> Last week, we also mentioned that Trinity Blood was being released into theaters, this isn't really news, but this is just awesome. That a during weeks the, ago, right? Actually, it was probably two weeks ago that we mentioned that. We said, this is a neat idea, but God's sake, don't go and see Trinity Blood because it's a piece of shit. We said that all fans of Trinity Blood need to email us and tell us how much they hate us, and we haven't received a single email, so apparently no one out there likes Trinity Blood. Yes, because every anime fan in the entire world listens to our podcast, The right? ones that count, anyway. Yeah, that's all that we count, so... Yeah, sure that the fans just don't listen to this podcast. Out of the maybe 800 people that do listen, there wasn't a single person that liked it. 
That's good enough for me. And also we found, and I know Daryl is very, very upset about this, that <laughs> Riccio got canceled by yeah, Media Blasters. Yeah, fucking infuriated. <laughs> Even though, I must say, the anime for Riccio, it's two parts. The first one is basically telling the story of the movie, the live-action movie that everyone knows about. The anime fucking blows compared to that movie. Having read the manga and <laughs> seen the live-action movie and then seen the anime... The live-action movie is actually far more faithful. I thought, wow, they must have just been fucking around and they just added all this stuff in for kicks. No, that's actually in there. The anime took all that stuff out, all the stuff that made it hilarious. And, and you're just left with a crappy story. But I heard the second one was pretty hilariously bad because Jan Scott Fraser worked on that and she won't Dezaki. talk anything <laughs> at all about Dezaki directed it. Yeah. From what I understand, his directing of it was basically sitting in a room and saying, yeah, let's do this, and then going out, and that was it. So it was very hands-off direct. I want to learn how to get paid for that. Just you sit there to... and be like, oh, yeah, that sounds good. Bye. I guess you just have to be crazy like Dezaki. I guess. There goes the most anticipated release of, of the year. and six. <laughs> Somebody should license the manga. Somebody should. Yes. Should yes. That. that needs to happen. I bought the Japanese volumes of that, then posted some scans saying, what the fuck is going on here? And then the next <laughs> thing I know on 4chan, dude finds and scans all 12 volumes of it and puts it up. I like to think I'm responsible for that, even though I probably <laughs> have nothing to do with it. Most likely. I hope Carl Horn is listening because we need this manga license. That's the next thing licensed. after the inevitable licensing of the Starving, Starving Man. Starving Man. Yeah, the yes. priorities here. So the first thing has got to be Starving Man, and then, then Rikio's Hero Riccio has got to be a biz editor's choice. Or, I'm sorry, signature <laughs> series release. <laughs> Once Tough is finished or And there must whatever. be a section in the back where it goes through how Riccio has killed people and how many times he's done it. Yeah, very... As they do in Golgo. Yeah. The thing got, is, it's not it's as impressive in Riccio, because Riccio's only 12 volumes, and I've read it all, whereas Golgo 13 is this decade-spanning beast. And so, for Carl to do these write-ups, like, Golgo 13 has been tortured in the following manner. In 1972, this happened. <laughs> and Riccio can't really be quite as terrifyingly impressed yeah. with... Oh, I think so. I think Carl can do it. No, Carl can do anything. We should well, get him yeah. on a show. I wish we, we could. We can do it. We can say, hey, hey, Carl, come and do this before well, you get We're going to use up all our guests right out the door, though. Yeah. Yeah, and pretty we'll much. And we'll have nothing. Now, you don't hear this very often, but I love reading these sorts of things. A manga artist named Mime Sakamoto apparently wrote this article, and she absolutely ripped into Moe fans. She just tore them apart, and this is one of the lines from it. And she says, This fetish you call Moe is a pedophiliatic fetish that is nothing more than a perversion. In other countries, they'd call what you're fantasizing over child pornography, and you'd all be arrested. You can read this entire article at tinyurl.com slash guf5o. Gotta say something here. The article itself, it's the right message from the wrong fucking person. Because for one, this person who wrote this article, she hasn't done shit other than porno. That's all she's ever got to her name. She's not a big name artist. And the second thing is like when you do some research on who she is, she's a fucking right wing lunatic. Didn't shouldn't she's, she like and, Moe? Well, oh, no, because the, the style of porn that she does is like mm. Moe fans wouldn't be buying her stuff. Uh. I guess. What we need to do is you got to get the niche back. <laughs> 
to say, hey guys, Moe, not cool. I made some mistakes in my life involving cocaine and howitzer shells on a boat. <laughs> but even I couldn't go that far. I'm Kunihiko Ikahara, and I'm on track, and I don't know yeah. what I'm doing. My name's Kunihiko Ikahara. I don't fucking do anything with my life after I did Utna, and I vanished yeah. off into subspace. I'm I a fucked about up SNL. guy, but I don't like little children. <laughs> Not in public, anyway. Be like me. Something like that. That needs to happen. Resurrect Osamu Tezuka from the dead. Get his zombie to zombie go on an anti-moe crusade. Yeah. <laughs> gotta happen. Right now, the funniest corner of the internet is the Anime News Network forum for the thread responding <laughs> to that Moe article. Because oh, just boy. the anime fandom, it's like the Marvel Civil War. The lines are being drawn straight down the middle. And brother <laughs> will be pitted against brother and no one will survive. So check out yeah. ANN for that one. Or don't. Read the article for yourself. That's all we have for the news this week, thank God, because here comes Karis. No, we gotta run a promo first, get people's guard down or Screw something Screw the promo, like that. we gotta get to Karis. Uh, I don't know. You gotta ask yourself some important questions when you're talking about Karis. The main one is... What hast thou built, Garrett? When the time comes to review thy life with the master builder for thee, and the question is asked, What hast thou built? What will thee say, poor Garrett? For thou art a man of destruction, not construction. Tis the biggest sin of all. Build thyself today a good house. That would please him much. Alright, now it's the time where I review Karis. We've been talking about it for a month. Dun, dun, dun. I've been putting it off since I've been awake for like an hour. This is probably not going to be terribly <laughs> laden with jokes. So here we go. If I had to sum up Karis in one phrase, it'd be this. <laughs> An animated tokusatsu show. To back up tokusatsu or special effects, it's an umbrella term used to refer to Japanese live-action productions that use, well, special effects. Generally, people narrow it down to a little more specific categories, like kaiju, that's monster movies like Godzilla, or sentai, shows like what we know as the Power Rangers, or other various Japanese superhero types like Ultraman or Kamen Rider. You know what I'm talking about. These generally entail heroes that are clad in rubber or spandex suits and they're fighting bizarre monsters of the week and there's a trademark transformation sequence and they strike and everything these... blows up for no reason. Yeah, and they strike dramatic poses and so on and so forth. Lots of quarries. Rock quarries, not so much anymore, but yeah, lots of running <laughs> from explosions and rock quarries. But the formula has even been used in anime and it has been used for some time. Gotcha, man. Super mm -hmm. robot shows like Voltron, even the magical girl genre, stuff like yep. Sailor Moon, they all follow this basic template. Basically, that's what tokusatsu means. Mike Dent from R5 Central is probably going to correct me if I got anything wrong or made any glaring admissions, but a good layman's rule is that tokusatsu is Japanese live-action superhero shows targeted towards young children. And they've been making this stuff for decades, both animated and live-action format, although I gotta clarify... The animated ones would not be called tokusatsu. It's only live action. It's just the formula is so similar. 
That brings us to Karis. One of the older animation studios in Japan is this place called Tatsunoku Productions. And they've been involved with some of the most famously known anime in America. Speed Racer, gotcha Battle of the Planets, a.k.a. Gotcha Man, mm-hmm. Robotech, and of course, Superbook. <laughs> Very good. Yes. So to celebrate their 40th anniversary of being around, Tatsunoko decided they'd make Karis, which is oh a six-part OAV series that's supposed to encompass the spirit of tokusatsu shows while exhibiting the full technical prowess of the studio, where they've progressed after 40 years. They kind of already did something similar to this five years ago, and it was a show called The Soul Taker, and that aired on Tech TV a while back. The Soul Taker was this really well-animated show about a dude who transformed into this armored suit thing, and he'd fight monsters. But instead of being targeted towards young children, it was designed to target adults. And Karis is essentially another title like that. Who is Karis but the hand of the Builder? What the Builder wills, Karis does. What the Builder wants, Karis makes. Praise to Karis and the Builder. Like most of these Tokusatsu shows, Story of Karis doesn't really matter. It's not that big of a deal. I mean, the name of the game is Special Effects not the narrative. So, much like pretty much any children's action show, like, say, DBZ, I could talk about the plot and premise of Karis, but it's really, really, really simple. But, if you lay it all out and describe it, it sounds really, really complex. Try it. Get a seven-year-old kid to tell you what Dragon Ball Z is about. It'll sound like the most complicated thing in the world, but (laughs) it's not. I could talk about how Fist of the North Star is about the predestined tragic fates of man as dictated by the constellations of the sky. You know, ultimately, Fist of the North Star is about Kenshiro brutally killing the reprehensible bad guys every week. So the same thing goes for Karis. I mean, I could talk about how, oh, Karis has incorporated a lot of these old legends of Japanese folklore into the narrative, and I could talk about the significance of crows to the Japanese people, and I bring up crows because Karasu means crow in Japanese. But really, Karis is basically about a dude in a transformable armored suit that fights the bad guys in fantastic kind of fashion, and there's a main villain who wants to rule the world, and he sits in his tower, surrounded by his bizarre-looking kaiju lieutenants, just like in all those Sentai shows, like (laughs) Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. The back of the Karis DVD, I got it right here, it keeps on comparing Karis to Batman Begins. There's, I guess, a quote taken from Anime Insider that mentioned Batman Begins and Karis in the same sentence. While it's sort of misleading, it's not totally unwarranted, since one of Karis' abilities is that he can transform into a ground vehicle as well as an air vehicle, and those two forms are very clearly homages to the Batmobile and the Batwing. Except, these ones are equipped with guns and missiles, and they zoom all over the place to remind you of the surround sound audio, because the thing's got the 6.1 DTS soundtrack and all that. So yeah, there's a whole bunch of other characters and factions and stuff, but, dude, they don't do anything. I mean, there's a female Karis, but she hasn't transformed or fought anything yet. And I say yet. It's not clear from the release, because manga took the first three parts and edited them together, so it'd seem like it was a movie by just removing... Why do they keep doing that shit? They removed the opening and ending credits. They did the same thing for Read or Die, but the difference Mm. is, the reason why they sort of got away with it with Read or Die, Read or Die was self-contained. End of that disc, that's the end of Read or Die. Chorus, it just ends at this point that's 
clearly not the ending. But there's mm-hmm. no way to know that it's really just the first half of the story or the start of a franchise or whatever. Because it's like, what? So, so far, <laughs> these first three parts are all that's out in Japan. And I guess the second disc of Cars probably won't come out for a while yet. I mean, they announced it for September or something. I don't think that's going to happen. Now, as far as the visuals and the audio goes, Cars is pretty damn incredible. I mean, it uses extensive use of 3D CG, blended together with the 2D animation, and the DVD of it looks way better than the fan subversions that came out a while back. And the fan sub encodes of that were really super nice to begin with. Matroska, 5.1 audio, all that jazz. Technically speaking, it's an achievement, but the same can be said for these things like Appleseed, Wonderful Days, I guess they call that Sky Blue now or something, mm-hmm. or the Final Fantasy movie that the Spirits Within or Advent Children do take your pick. I mean, when it comes to stuff like that, I personally, I spend the first few minutes thinking, wow, this looks amazing. Then after that, it doesn't even register in my brain anymore. I mentioned Advent Children. I wrote about Advent Children several months ago. I wrote a very long review over at tinyurl.com slash e9qlx. So I wrote that right after I saw Advent Children. So go and read that. It's really long, but skim it or something. I bring it up because Chorus, for better or for worse, it's a lot like Advent Children in terms of what its strengths are and what its weaknesses are. I would agree. The visuals in both, incredible. And the fights are even done in a similar style, too. There's a lot of flying around in midair, doing the sword fights at blinding speed. Actually, Cars uses the same gimmick that Kamen Rider Kabuto and Cyborg 009 does, in that the characters, when they fight, they move so fast, time effectively stops around them. When I watch the action scenes in Karis, I kind of get this feeling like the makers of it ask themselves, hmm, what sort of things have we kind of wanted to do in live-action tokusatsu shows but couldn't really pull off because it'd be sort of too expensive. So for Mm. better or for worse, both Cars and Advent Children are primarily composed of action scenes that play out like their video game cutscenes from the Devil May Cry games. Really, really over the top. They're not as cool as Devil May Cry. Hold on a sec. There's a character named Nue in Cars, and he's basically a lot like Dante from Devil May Cry. He's a demon, he's fighting his own kind, but he's just got only guns because Cars himself already has the sword. Notice, despite the visual quality, I've never said that Karis looks realistic. I guess it's a stylistic thing, because Tokusatsu is not really about looking real or mimicking reality, and that's generally the stated goal of the use of CG in American movies. It's good CG if you can't tell that it's CG. That's not how Tokusatsu works. Tokusatsu is about looking fantasy-like and spectacular, which is why so much of it looks kind of goofy to us in live action. If the effects don't look that good. It just looks really fake and obvious to our eyes and probably right, to like the, the people watching it. And such. Yeah. For me, I think the Tokusatsu format, that's probably why it translates pretty well to animation. Because once it's animated, that disparity between the effects and everything else, it's reduced a bit. Still, Cars has a lot of the same flaws as Advent Children. The plot, the characterization, it's thin, it's cookie-cutter. Both of them assume the viewer has pre-existing knowledge of certain key elements. Like, Advent Children... They assume you played Final Fantasy VII. So, hey, we don't need to explain who anyone is. Karis, they assume you know about various types of yokai, and yokai is the Japanese demons and monsters, not just mm-hmm. a Sayuki thing, people. They assume you know about that from Japanese folklore. And the DVD for Karis, it actually includes a little miniature comic book from Dark Horse. And this thing explains what the premise and setting is in a much more straightforward manner than the anime itself. 
But, come on, if you're looking for a good, compelling narrative, Kara's just plain it, folks. I mean, like I said, people watch Tokusatsu for the visuals and special effects, not the narrative. As far as just that alone goes, I'd say Kara succeeds. But as a real movie, oh. fuck no. Cars, I wouldn't I mean, even agree that the fights succeed, though. Hold the on a second. Really it's, you have to clarify that in a second because there's, I will. A, there's a qualifier to that. But yeah, Cars, like Advent Children, it's the anime equivalent of a Bruckheimer movie, a Jerry Bruckheimer movie. But unlike Advent Children, Cars does not have this huge pre-installed fan base. So I really can't yeah. see people digging it. So, I mean, you could just watch it for the fights and disregard the rest. Maybe. And mm-hmm. that's pretty much it. What were you going to say about that, Clarissa? I was going to say that Advent Children... I know that you, you mentioned that Karis, it's like, yeah, you're supposed to know what all these monsters and demons and the Japanese folklore is. But that's a very kind of general folklore. Whereas with Advent Children, very you already story. have the entire specific story of Final Fantasy VII and all of the character development and character exploration that went on in Final Fantasy VII. Yeah, it's all thrown Advent out Children, for the sake of the movie, but yeah. Advent Children doesn't need to tell you who Cloud Strife is. You know who Cloud Strife is because they covered that in Final Fantasy VII. It's not a failure of Advent Children for not doing that because it's not as a standalone movie. To do, but it's not meant to be a standalone movie. It is intended to be watched by people who have played Final Fantasy VII. Whereas Chorus is its own property. I think the problem with that line of thinking is whenever they make a video game movie then they assume that, oh, everyone's played the video game, so there's no need to explain anything. That kind of drags the whole thing down a bit. But Advent Children was a sequel. It wasn't a retelling of the video game like most of those movies you're mentioning are. It was a sequel. So that's even more reason for it not to need to rehash that stuff. I understand what you're saying, but to the layperson who doesn't necessarily know that, and who doesn't want to play a 40-hour-long RPG. Well, but the thing is, is... Gerald... Chorus. Done with Advent Children talking. <laughs> yeah. The fight scenes really didn't impress me that much, because it seemed like they spent a whole lot of time making sure that the shimmer was right, that the sound effect moved from the back to the front just right, but there was almost nothing in terms of choreography, in my opinion. There's actually... a lot of people posing, and I understand that there's a lot of that in tokusatsu. I've seen a lot of that in tokusatsu, but there is fighting in tokusatsu, too. I was thought that okay? there was a good bit of fighting. Didn't you remember the opening scene with the sword I did see the opening that? scene, and that was the only one that actually had any choreography in it. And every other fight in it just had the guy stands there, he looks at the bad guy, he zooms forward, you don't even see it, and then like cuts off the guy's arm and he explodes. And that's the fight. That's usually his big move at the end. I didn't there's, see there's much more other choreography. Stuff. I like the fights in Karas, actually, but they are in that very flying-around kind of style, and a lot of it isn't really hand-to-hand kind of fights. A lot of it, like I mentioned, he transforms. A lot of it is they zoom around and shoot at each other, that sort of thing. And then pull out the special move, and then he's done, and then that's it. It's, it's that's very... Very much in the style of the Ultraman kind of shows and things like that. But yeah, I see what you're saying. Absolutely. I don't really see this thing doing super well here Mm. because Final Fantasy gets a pass. I'm sorry I said I was done with Final Fantasy, but it gets a pass because the people forgive it. Cars doesn't have any buildup or momentum going forward. So if people just see that, they'll be like, oh, this is boring. The the gigantic yokai fan base out there, the yokai fanboys. Maybe in Japan. (laughs) I mean, it's not really fanboys of it, but it's just something that they'd know about and could grab onto it's how many people before Kappa Mikey even <laughs> knew what Kappa were. Yeah, I, Whereas, it really and does, there's really no need to explain it. what the powers of Kappa are. It's like, oh, okay, they can do that, yeah. 
And I don't believe that there's anything else planned for it beyond the OAVs. Do you know of any video games or anything? I don't believe so. I kind of get the feeling that by the format of it, if they made all six parts and it was a breakthrough success, then, then yes, they could easily make more, because, hey, all you just need is a new villain and some more monsters to fight. But, I don't know. It's an interesting sort of project in the sense that, all right, check us out from Gachaman to this. But mm. it's like these Japanese live-action movies, like, say, the Kashan Robot Hunter movie, or Kashan. Oh, God, that movie was so bad. That movie is not a good movie. That movie sucked so badly. The oh. effect work is pretty impressive, but the story yeah. fucking blows. Oh, it looks and, good. And it looks really good, though. Kashan is like a three-fucking-hour-long yeah, music it's, video. It is. Exactly. Yeah, it's horrible. Precisely. Oh. And... Even though it's a tokusatsu movie and the effects are center stage, when the story is that, there isn't a whole lot to go on. In Chorus, the main characters are these detectives. Their job is to investigate the supernatural, but the detectives can't actually do anything because they don't have any powers. All they and it's can not do like the just... main characters are very interesting either. Yeah, I mean, the, the main character, is just... he's a doctor for the yokai, the spirits. But that's not really explored very much, other than they just show him tending to some wounded spirits, and then all of a sudden, it's time to go cut some motherfuckers up. It's not like it really ties into anything. I mean, it has... No, it doesn't. Fast Karate for the Gentleman, the podcast, Dave and Joel's, they had a theory on this. And they said, all these shows like that, they all have these kind of shitty plots that make no sense as a way of telling you, this doesn't matter. (laughs) Just ignore it. Just watch the fights, and that's it. My, and we don't I mean, have the money or like, the time to do nothing but fights, but bear with it, folks. That's their I, theory. I, mean, I wish they could have at least made the stuff between the fights a little bit more interesting. I mean, that stuff was just snooze-inducing, besides the fact that I personally just think the fights were mediocre to begin with. I think most of the attention work here was all technical stuff. Like mm-hmm. you said, sound design is fantastic. The extras on the DVD even have a whole little feature about the sound design. You can tell they put a lot of thought into how the Chorus look. It's a pretty impressive design, and the villain is the evil Chorus, and he looks pretty cool too, but you barely ever see him because all he does is just sit in his tower feeding his pet mouse or something like that <laughs> while right. his super bizarre-looking henchmen are like, let me fight Chorus next. Sure, go one at a time. Let's not all attack him at once. We'll send one henchman at a time to take out Karis. I'd like to bring up something. I first saw this about three weeks ago at JCon. I was determined to check this movie out finally, because Daryl was going to do a review on it, and I wanted to just at least have a little bit of input on this. And so I went and I watched this at the viewing rooms there. And about two-thirds of the way through, there was this one quiet point in the show. And then suddenly, we just heard this snoring in the background. We actually thought that someone was just making fun of the movie, but someone had actually fallen asleep in the viewing room watching the movie. What time was it? This was at about 8 o'clock. I know thou art not a believer, Garrett, yet thou art well aware that half of all thou seest is through mechanist machinery, thy metal eye. I gave the eye to thee in the hopes that thou wouldst be an ally. But t'was not to be. You have eluded me in the past, Garrett. But no one, not even thee, will escape this night. I would like to mention another thing that just blew my mind about this. In the very opening sequence of this, 
they go through this very, very long, almost, in my opinion, painfully long credit sequence where it cuts back and forth between the names of the people that worked on it and cars fighting uh, this one guy over a bridge. And then they cut to this one shot of an ant. And then it backs off and then there's another ant. And then it backs off and then there's like a billion ants. And it's this really cool looking scene that someone must have spent months and months doing. This was pretty good. But this fucking sequence that someone spent months on doing is just to show the director's fucking name. Well, you remember so, his name, don't oh you? Oh my god! Like, they just spent this much money so the director could say, oh, 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 my name would better be the most prominent fucking name in the whole show. Well, they should oh be the most god. prominent fucking name in the whole show, given all the complaints we have that people don't know who the anime directors are. <laughs> it's not like he made anything that's very memorable. I mean, it's Karis is a shitty show, but my god, that, that the most unbelievably complex effect in the entire show is so my name appears is just just blows my mind i know not why you oppose me in one act i will end all human suffering and clear the path for the builder to walk again on earth history will move forward my tireless children will build in his name creating advancements Beyond our understanding. Now is the dark time before the days of light. Why dost thou oppose me? Oh my god, that is just like nepotism, like, I don't know. That's the no, misuse the word, of the word nepotism. Actually. No, that's the wrong word, but I don't know what yeah. the word to use is because my head's exploding so much from that. Do you remember the director's name after all that? No, I don't, because it was such a shitty show. It was such a shitty show, and it was so forgettable that there's no reason why I'd want to remember the director. Dude's named Keiichi Sato, and he's not really a director, he's a character designer. Did the character designs for the Big O, did the monster designs for Soul Taker, stuff like that. He's, he's a really good designer. doing designs. That's but his I mean, deal. He's, he's a good designer, I'll give I him like that. I like the designs for the monsters damn. a lot. Some of them just are like really freaky looking. One of them is Wicked City-like. It's a woman who's got a lot of spidery limbs which, even though I've seen it before, it's still freaky as fuck looking. We should stick to designing mechs and suits and things. Good designer, I'll give him that, but I don't know. This is like his directorial debut. And he wanted to make sure everyone knew it, too. Well, if you gotta make a debut, you may as well debut with a bang, although I don't know if this is the bang. Bottom line, if this is cheap, I'd say it might be worth picking up just as a this looks cool to play on my big screen TV and sound system sort of factor. I wouldn't pay 20 or $30 for it, but then again, I gotta make the disclaimer, I think the same thing about Advent Children. So, there you go. There's Just, probably better things to do that on yeah, as well. I, can you think of any? Good, big deal shows? I don't know, I think the Innocence movie, even though that... This um, has more action than Innocence, even though neither of them... Jinro as well, which is also very little action as well, but I think that's a better movie to try out on your sound system. The original Ghost in the Shell, which just got re-released. So anything by Mamoru Oshii. Oh, wait, yeah, I did mention three Mamoru Oshii. You're, you're three for I? three so far. Oh, well. On the subject of Oshii, we may as well go four for Because uh, next up on the agenda, we're going to have Gerald talk about Pat Labor Movie 1, the super cool limited edition released by Oniamis. That's pretty expensive, but... Yes, it is. First, I guess, maybe these messages or something. I'm doing a random survey right now. If there's a way you could get out of line faster, would you take the opportunity? 
how legitimate is the way? Um, well, not like, you know, staging a uh, shooting spree and kicking everybody out, but say, like, you just remembered that there's something you could get, and then you could get that, it would be a lot faster. Yeah, yeah. if it was legitimate, sure. Am I lying? <laughs> I have cheated the system and won! Yeah! <laughs> the waiting is almost over. Aren't I Central? The three-part Anime Central 2006 audio coverage. Coming soon. of the review segment of the show, or I guess one of the three review segments, since it's all review segments this time. This is kind of special because we've been talking about this particular release since the very first episode. What this is, is the special limited edition box set of Pat Labor the Movie 1. That is the first release by the brand new studio Bandai Visual under the label Oniamis. This got a lot of attention because this is one movie that is retail for, I hear, 80 I hear $90. It's really expensive. So now, I actually ponied up for this. I didn't spend 80 or $90. I spent about $50 online. I thought it would be a good idea to take a look at it. The thing is, we could probably have an entire show that is nothing but pat labor, and we could have an entire show that is nothing but Mamoru Oshii. So I kind of have to be careful, because I don't want to go too much into either. First of all, pat labor is kind of a unique series. It's basically the first series that took the concept of giant robots and made them everyday items. Giant robots, all the time before this, were sort of unique things, even in the world that they were set in. Pat Labor is set about 10 years in the future. The movie itself is set in 1999, and it was made in 1989. Yeah, the 10 years in the future is just a generic 10 years from whenever you're watching this kind of thing. Right. It's all about a police force that uses these giant labors, they're called patrol labors, shortened to pat labors, basically to patrol the streets and to fight against other labors if necessary. And labors are what? And labors are basically giant robots. The reason they're named labors is because they're used for construction primarily. Don't get the wrong idea, though. It's not a good idea to call this a giant robot show. Yeah, I was about to say. Yeah, robots are just kind of a peripheral thing. Really? They could be driving fire trucks and it wouldn't really change the show. Yeah, what the show really is about is the people that are in these robots. And that is really where Pat Labor has succeeded and why there is a Pat Labor OAV series, Pat Labor 1 movie, there's a TV series, there's another OAV series, there's a movie after that, and And there's a movie after after that. that. Yeah, and a manga series too. It really is all about the characters, which is what makes it so special. Basically, what happened was the original OAVs were released in around 1987 or so, and they were really cheap for the time. And right after the OAVs were finished, they came out with the Pat Labor movie, which looked a whole lot better than the OAVs, but still, the OAVs are very, very good. And basically, the plot of the movie, essentially, there's this programmer, his name is Aichi Hoba, and he is basically a genius, and he programmed the system what all labors are running on. It's called the hyper-operating system. This is a very unique story because Aichi Hoba is very central to the plot. One of the best villains in a movie. But the very opening scene of the movie is him killing himself. 
and that's the end that you see. In fact, all that you see of him is his smiling face. Yeah, you that's don't, it. never know what he looks like. He's just this phantom. He's a Kaiser Soze kind of yes. villain. <laughs> anyway, this hyper-operating system is now supposed to make these pat labors and labors all operate very efficiently and very much better than they currently operate. So it's being installed in nearly all labors around Tokyo. The show basically starts with one of these labors going insane. It just goes off and then just starts blowing things up. And you see the self-defense force, the Japanese self-defense force, going after this thing. And it takes like an army to take this one labor down. And so they take a look inside this labor and there's nobody operating it. And so the movie starts. Pat in general is much more akin, and especially this movie, is much more akin to a cop drama or a procedural right. police show than a robot show, quote-unquote. Right. And the central characters in this movie, as I said, are Noah and Asuma. Noah is a young girl who is absolutely in love with labor. Asuma basically doing what he's doing. They're both policemen, by the way. Kind of almost to get away from his father. His father is the owner of Shinohara Heavy Industries, which is the world's biggest labor manufacturer. And they hate each other. <laughs> now, So he's a civil servant to rebel. Exactly. <laughs> Essentially, what we're looking at here is we're seeing these labors just going berserk, and they're just not too sure what's happening and what's causing this. They're thinking maybe it's the hyper-operating system, maybe it's not, but even if it is, what's causing it? I don't really want to get into that in too much detail because that would kind of be a spoiler. Yeah. I think I would just like to say that this, for a lot of people, was their first exposure to Pat Labor, period, because Manga Video had released this movie quite some time before any of the OAVs or TV series have been released in America. So, as an introduction to the characters, this is a good movie to start with. It is. This is actually the first Pat Labor that I saw, too. For this re-release, Oniami decided to go back and they got a brand new remastered version that was made specially for the DVD release. We got a DVD release of Pat Labor 1 prior to this. They screwed up in some little annoying areas. Yeah, that wasn't the remastered version. They actually went back and re-recorded all the audio as well. And, uh, slight script alterations, too, weren't there? Very slight. It wasn't like a major deal. Basically, they just wanted to get those separate tracks and everything. I wish the original track was included on this release. That way I wouldn't need my old DVD anymore. It would be interesting to switch between right, it would be. the scripts for both. Like on the Gundam movies, they actually did the same thing there. But basically what we're getting is almost identical to this Japanese release. And it's a gorgeous release. I will grant them that. There's nothing about this release that I can really complain about other than the price. Now, I understand that on Anime on DVD, they made some mention that the video quality wasn't very good. I don't really think I've got the credentials to say whether or not it was. I have a lower-end, high-definition television that I watched this on. And to me, it looked like it was pretty decent. It did not look like a brand-new movie. It did have sort of an old 1980s grain to it. It didn't seem like it was very bad to me. And again, I do not have the type of setup that is really required to notice these sorts of things. Back to the release itself, they actually went and they did actually redub this. The dub for this, for the first movie... When was you say redub, of, you mean like re-English dub as well. They did a re-English dub as or well, re -English. Not, <laughs> along with the re-Japanese dub. I guess I was, like kind of attached, I was kind of attached to that original English dub. The original English dub that manga had was kind of bland for the first movie. The second movie, it was an excellent dub. Anyway, that, I shouldn't really be talking about that too much, since probably no one will ever see those dubs. If, well, very unlikely that they will see them. 
But basically, on with the release itself. Yeah, what are you getting when you buy this 80 buck release? Well, you get an extras disc that's kind of okay. It's kind of throwaway. It's about 45 minutes long. It's interviews with Masami Yuki, who created Pat Labor, and Mamoru Oshii, all Sursa 1989. So it's kind of interesting on that level. And the things that Pat Labor did, they talk about for the first time. But the kind of the cream of it is this very interesting 200-page book that they give you. And it really goes which into... Which is not to be confused with the other book they give you. Yes. Which is the storyboard. And personally, I would have been fine if they had just had that on the disc as an extra, rather than a big-ass book. Normally, I would be too, but I think the storyboard book even has positives to it as well. The novel that they give you, it's basically every single thing you ever wanted to know about Pat Labor in super, super detail, and it kind of gushes about the movie and the series, but I guess that's to be expected because it is included in the box, and you're not going to get it anywhere else except in the box, but it does go into detail about how Mamoru Oshii had completely rejected the Blade Runner-style look of the future. That's what I guess makes Pat Labor so interesting because whenever you watch this movie, it sort of looks like, even though this movie is set 10 years in the future, in 1999, it doesn't look too different from what 1999 actually looks like. So would you say this book is sort of, I'm going to date myself here, but would you say it's sort of the, one of the closest things we've ever gotten to a Roman album in That's, English? Yeah, I actually think that it is. And on um, that note, I think that, there's going to be a Roman album released yeah, by Samurai Shampoo. Yeah, I was about Shampoo, to say. <laughs> yeah. Of course, under the name Roman album, because it means something. Basically, a Roman album is these... Square spine kind of magazines, and they just have shitloads of just information, just animation stills, character layouts and designs, mm-hmm. uh, information on the producers. And traditionally, it's just all been in Japanese, and it's like, uh, you know, lots and lots of text. I'm sure it's got information in it, but all I can do is look at the pictures. In this book, it's all in English. And it's like, yes, wow. it is. And it's not badly written. They didn't throw don't this they to make some. These anymore? <laughs> yeah, they didn't throw this to some second rate translator. It really is pretty good. Really, the question for this does come down to, do you like Pat Labor enough to spend this much money on this release? (laughs) There is another release of this that is a $20 release. All you get with a $20 release is the movie, and that is perfectly serviceable. The movie is great. I've watched it like 15 times, and I still love it. So there's nothing wrong with that release of it. Now, if you really are a giant Pat Labor fan, and I've got like almost everything... Pat Labor that's been made. Got my Pat Labor Inquest CD right here. That's the soundtrack to this first movie. I'm looking at my... $30 disc right there just for the CD soundtrack, which I bought just so I could have the end credits. Yeah. I mean, this is a release that is made for someone, I guess, like me and Daryl. But the problem is, is can you make money by selling things that are only things that people like me and Daryl would buy? I mean, anime isn't that big a market. And I'm barely willing to pay $30 a disc. When this thing is like 90 I mean, I paid about 60 for it. I thought, all right, even that is kind of hefty, but I'll justify it because it's pat labor. And, all right, and it, it is, is a very, very good release. I'm, I don't I do know if this is the kind of thing that lots of people will buy. There, there's you're, a limited you're edition right. release, right? 10000 were made and that's it. It is, yeah. I got um, a friend who listens to the show. He's like, check me out. My number is six. What number did you get, Daryl? Well, which number? um, I have a few I can choose from. I eschew the number system entirely. The one I won has no number on it. Uh From Animan DVD. Stolen. Yeah, it's synthesizer style. But no, the one I bought, (laughs) 7,700 something, I don't know. There's no... I never even knew they were numbered until Dude was like, check me out, I've got... 
Is are you snoring, Clarissa? No, okay. no. I'm awake. Somebody was talking? snoring. <laughs> I'm not boring, damn it! <laughs> I am an interesting person. <laughs> I've got opinions that are worth listening to. I've I thought it'd help replay your dramatic moment at Karis at the convention. I see. <laughs> no. Gerald's moment. This this is an excellent market for this. This is an excellent mm. case for this, and I do not see a hardcore Pat Labor fan base in America that is big enough to support this sort of release. Yeah, and I don't know that myself. Yeah, I, I don't know if there's 10,000 fans of Pat Labor, period, right. let alone 10,000 people willing to drop right. the money for the really, really nice release. Daryl and I have got this sort of attachment to the show, and we will, even though both of us were still hesitant to pay this money for this show. As we this. mentioned in show number yeah. one. So. Yeah. Two, they're going to be doing this again with Pat Labor 2. Mm. I'm interested to see how that goes as well. I love this movie, and I think that if you just buy the $30 version, which you can buy for $20 or $15 online, I highly recommend that because it is a really great movie. It's not a giant robot action movie. It is about excellent characters that you just really want to know more. And yeah. Again, if you are a major, major Pat Labor fan, then you're not even really listening to me. You probably have bought the $80 <laughs> box set already. Mm. So this is really for anyone who doesn't know Pat Labor, who's not going to spend $80 on this release. If you think you would like a movie like this, I suggest going out and getting the $30 version. Mm. It's really worth it. The $80 version, ugh, it's hard for me to recommend yeah. this to anyone but the hardest core Pat Labor. And on the subject of that, if you want to win the Pat Labor box set, Anime News Network has a pretty cool contest going on. Basically... They want you to send in pictures of you doing as many retro things at once as possible. Like, if you send the most retro picture imaginable to them, you can win this $90 box set. I mean, having contests is hard to do for things like this. They give stuff away. But the way they give it away is just, oh, put your name in a box and draw a name yeah. at random. They're raffles. Yeah. And, yeah, and the person who wins usually doesn't have any a clue how good of a prize they just won. The concept of that breaks my heart. But what do you do for contests? I mean, I mm. like this idea that Anime News Network has got with something kind of weird. Yeah. Anime on DVD, they had a contest to win this Pat Labor set, and the way they did it was answer trivia questions about the movie. You know who won that? Me! <laughs> yep. I have two copies of this thing now. Yeah, I wasn't sure if I'd give the thing <laughs> away or make a contest for it, but if I make a contest for it on a podcast, what do I do? I don't want to just say, oh, send in your name or whatever, and I'll pick a mm -hmm. name at random. I want this to go to someone who's like, really appreciate Pat Labor, Labor, and yeah. they'll read that book. Yeah. No. And it's yeah. like, I don't know how to do it right. I mean, I said last week I didn't know what to do, and I still don't know what to do. So we'll take suggestions, people. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you have some amazing idea... Maybe. For uh, although, you know, who's you have to worry, you have to be thing. careful, though, because the people that suggest these ideas are probably are the, the ones who are going win to win it. Yeah. Right. So, that's the thing. I guess that that sums up my review of this. Is, to sum it up in mm. one sentence, buy the regular disc. Don't bother with the super edition unless you've you already know bought what you're it. Getting into. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's it. All right. We'll be right back after these important messages with Clarissa's. Review of uh, Oran High School Host Club. We're talking about tokusatsu dudes cutting shit up with swords and <laughs> yeah. robots and guy committing suicide because he made the robots go berserk to wipe out Japan. Yeah. And so naturally, we got to end things off with 
<laughs> Pretty boys and host club in yeah. high school. His job it is to flirt with women and make them swoon. All right. <laughs> So you ready for being a high school hostess lady? <laughs> sure. All right, go for it. Oron High School Host Club. It's based off the manga by mangaka Bisco Hattori. And this manga is actually coming out in English. It's uh, being published by Viz under the Shoujo Beat imprint. It is not in the Shoujo Beat magazine, unfortunately, but it is published under that label. So you can pick up the manga. But what I'm really going to be focusing on is the new TV series done by Bones that's just started recently. There have been about six episodes fan sub so far, and that's what I'm going off of, is those six episodes. So, Oran High School is a super rich high school. Only the most elite, rich, well-bred students go there. These people are so rich that they have ridiculous amounts of free time to just sit around and do stupid crap. So they've decided, a group of guys in the school decided that they would form the Oran High School Host Club and use some of their copious free time out of their ritzy lifestyles to spend wooing the various women of the school, making all their dreams come true as, as sexy hosts. This sounds like the premise for an 80s sitcom. <laughs> if you remember back in the days when all the sitcoms were about super rich families with yeah. silver spoons and stuff yeah. like that, having problems that nobody else, mm-hmm. this is the, the revival. It is. It, it is a little bit like that. It, it is very much a sitcom and that it's very much a comedic series. And one day, entering to this school is somebody named Fujioka Haruhi. Now, Fujioka Haruhi is different from the other students in Oran. Haruhi is poor, but Haruhi got into Oran on a scholarship because, you know, really good student. And one day, Haruhi is kind of kicking around the school, feeling really awkward, dressed really frumpy, can't afford the uniform for the school because even the uniform is too ridiculously expensive. And Haruhi is like, I need a quiet place to study. Look, I found a music room that nobody seems to be using. I'll go in here, and I'll be able to study in here. So Haruhi goes into the room, and lo and behold, this music room is actually the room in which the host club is based. Haruhi gets welcomed and greeted by the members of the host club, and they kind of start wigging out a little bit over the fact that Haruhi is kind of strange and exotic to them because Haruhi is so poor and is a scholarship student. They generally behave like well-meaning but completely ignorant and stupid rich people. And Haruhi starts to get really freaked out, and at one point, Haruhi backs into a vase and it falls off the pedestal that it's on, and it breaks. This is not good, because it's worth a lot of money. It's really expensive. So now, it's gotta find some way to pay them back for this vase that's just been broken. And they're like, alright, you are basically gonna be the host club's dog. You will go and fetch stuff for us, and do menial chores, until you've worked off the debt that you owe, 
to pay for this ridiculously expensive vase. Does he have to wear a cute pink slave collar? That's no. what I was going to say, yeah. No, there's no slave collars. Oh, this is only six episodes, though. Hmm. <laughs> well, yeah, as of yet, there have been no slave collars. And so they start making Haruhi do various things. We need more coffee, or you know, we need you to bring some papers to somebody, or stuff like that. Because Haruhi is pretty nondescript. When we see Haruhi, he's got short, messy hair, big glasses, wears really frumpy clothing... But at one point, Haruhi, somebody takes his glasses off and discovers that Haruhi, underneath all that, is actually pretty good looking. So they decide, change of plans, you're not going to be our gopher anymore, you're going to be a host. It reminds me of like those scenes in all those 80s teen comedies where it's like there's a frumpy <laughs> librarian and then she like takes off the glasses and then yeah. she throws her hair smile. back and yeah. yeah. Yeah, and super hot, yeah. It's not quite to that degree, but definitely very much that. So they start fixing Haruhi up to be a host. What they don't count on, and what they don't realize, or well, all of the different members of the host club realize this at different points, is that Haruhi is actually a girl. Of course, a girl shouldn't be allowed to work in the host club, but Haruhi is like, look, I don't really care about being mistaken for a guy. It doesn't bother me. I'm not really all that gender conscious. I don't really care that much about being girly. And so, does it totally gross them out that she's a girl? No. Okay. And Haruhi is like, I can still keep working in the host club if we just don't tell anybody. And the, the guys in the host club start to kind of think that it might be pretty interesting to let Haruhi go ahead and continue to work there and just cover up the fact that Haruhi's really a girl. Which is what they do. Now, I've actually heard about this show since it's been talked about in every single other anime podcast already. Mm. And I remember, I think it was the Ninja Consultant podcast, where they mentioned even though it's the case of the girl who looks like a guy, pretty much, except if you look carefully, like there's a lot of shoujo heroines who mm-hmm. are like that. It's not like she's doing it on purpose. It's just like, oh, I had to cut no. my hair because someone left you know, gum in my hair. Yeah. Yeah. Right, yeah, I was, yeah. I was actually, I mean, I hadn't really gotten to that. But it's not that she's trying to look like a guy. It's just that she doesn't really care that much. And, yeah, the reason that they thought she was a guy was not because, I mean, it's not like an all-boys school or anything. It's co-ed school. She wasn't trying to cover up the fact that she was a girl. It's just that she didn't really dress in a very feminine manner. And her hair was short because, as you mentioned, somebody had put gum in her hair, like, right before she had started at the school. So Haruhi ended up lopping off all her hair because it was full of gum, and she was just like, eh, whatever. I don't feel like messing with it. Whack. And she took it all off, and that's why it was so short. Basically, most of the show is really just kind of situation comedy and ensemble comedy with Haruhi and all the guys in the host club. I think one of the things that's enjoyable about the show is that, yes, there's very much the fan service for girls of, like, the really hot guy characters and the host clubs and them being all romantic and putting on these shows for the girls and everything. But at the same time... The show's really tongue-in-cheek and it, it, it kind of pokes fun at itself in that, like, you have so many series in shoujo and boys love and stuff with these rich, really elegant schools where the people are, like, so amazing, like you talked about in those 80s series. This one is really, like, you're supposed to kind of laugh at them because it's like, yeah, they're so rich, but they're kind of dumb about it because they're kind of sheltered. And, like, these silly things happen where, like, there's a scene where they make Haruhi go get coffee before she actually starts working as a host, and she gets instant coffee. 
and they're completely confounded by the concept of instant coffee. The one guy who's the head of the host club, who is like the total drama queen of the group, goes off on this thing of, you know, I shall sample the commoner's coffee and blah, 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 blah. And it's completely ridiculous. And there's so many things like this that happen, which usually end in Haruhi just looking at them as if they're complete morons and being like, these rich bastards. Hmm. So it's like, on the one hand, it's not really just, oh, look, these people are so much better than us, and aren't they so elegant? Like, they're kind of silly, too, and you're supposed to kind of laugh at them. Except you're infuriated because they're rich and you're not, and they don't deserve to be Well, the thing is, is that one of the other things that I like is that it also makes fun of all, like, the male character stereotypes. Because the thing is, each of the guys falls into one of those categories of, like, oh, here's the cool guy with the glasses who's really intellectual, and here's, like, the little boy, the, the Shota character, and here's the twins who pretend to be gay with each other. Here's this the, sounds like the, the bad boy. Fetish, yeah, th- th- this does sound like a harem show. But what I was about to say before you cut me off is the fact that all of this stuff about them each being this kind of different personality type is a big joke. It's something that they do on purpose for the host club. They play it up because they know it'll sell to the female customers. And so, yeah, it's there and it's cute and you can be like, oh, you know, the twins are gay for each other. That's really hot. But at the same time... It's very tongue-in-cheek and knowing about, yeah, this is really silly, and we acknowledge that it's really silly, and they're really just doing it to be shameless hams in the hope of getting more female customers. It sounds like meta-commentary on the industry in some weird sense. <laughs> you know, it is. And what I, so what I like about it is that it's a show that doesn't take itself too seriously at all. It's very funny, and it's not afraid to make fun of itself and laugh at itself and those conventions but it doesn't do it in a mean-spirited way. It's an affectionate laughter. You laugh at these rich guys because they're all so melodramatic and their lives are so ridiculous that they have so much free time that they can waste doing all this crap. And they're like, oh my god, instant coffee. But they're good people. It's all meaning well in the end. So how flowery is this show? Oh, it's flowery. Good question. <laughs> it's flowery. There's definitely no, no shortage of flowers. And so, you know, certainly you have kind of the fan service elements. You have the really good say you cast. You've got the romance and everything. But it's also just enjoyable on the level of being a silly comedy show. I actually probably wouldn't have said if somebody asked me that this was a show that anybody except fangirls should watch. The more I think about it, I think that just as a comedy show, it's enjoyable, even if you're not the particular audience for that kind of fan service. There are a bunch of guys who are watching the show and enjoying it because of the comedy. And they're like, yeah, yeah, there's all the hot guys and there's, you know, the twins being gay with each other. But it's a really funny show and I like it anyway. So I think maybe even people who don't suspect that they might like it should give it a try. I'm very pleasantly surprised by it. It's a lot of fun. Oh, Bryce, you naughty, naughty boy. You need a spanking. OtakuGeneration.net, letting you see how crazy we really are. Catch us every Wednesday for news, reviews, and stuff you can use for the otaku in you. Okay, and that's Anime World Order for this week, show number 20. As always, you'll want to check out the show notes at AnimeWorldOrder.com. Be sure to email us at AnimeWorldOrder at gmail.com. Get on the uh, website and go to the Frapper page. Also, you want to call us on our voicemail at 206-666-4296. That's 206-666-4AWO. Let's see, what are we doing next week? 
since you're Sweet. talking, you can tell <laughs> gonna... us. Well, next I'm week in... we're gonna be so fucking metal. Yeah, it's next week hurt. is our. Did a mecha anime <laughs> episode once already, and we were like, hmm, that's a good idea, but it's not metalish. <laughs> and this is yeah. we live in a metal age, as we we do, as we've determined from this episode. And so I think that in light of that, it's time to bite the bullet. I am going to talk about the often overlooked and my pick for best OAV series of all time, Giant Robo. Taking nothing away from Legend yes. of Galactic Heroes, but Giant Robo. Mm. <laughs> and I'm going to be taking a look at, well, one of Tomino's really early works, and you can see that he kind of didn't have it all together here, Combattler V. So that's the first five people combined to form a robot show yep. ever, right? Yep. yep, yep. I am going to take the kamikaze plunge and probably kill myself in the process as I finally break down and talk about Saint Seiya. So this is basically the episode that's like a year in the making or you know, however long this has been going on. It's like, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, I guess so. When we first started the podcast, we were all like, yeah... We're going to start this podcast so one day we can review this, this, and this. Yeah. And Gerald, we know he's lusted in his heart to review Combattler V since he spent the last year or so of his life watching it. Holy crap. <laughs> and it's I a know. year of my life wasted. So have I. Yeah. We'll, we'll see. Yeah, we'll talk about that. <laughs> so, are there any, so, any final thoughts? Don't buy Karas. No, 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 buy Karas. It's really oh, cool. Oh, don't buy it. I would like to thank our nefarious sponsors for whom we have sold out to. M80 Viral Marketing Dudes and Dude Lady for sending us that. And I hope she sends us the next one whenever it comes out. Because it's going to be really sweet to see whatever the fuck happens and what I just saw there. Yeah. Whatever. Do not buy Karas. End of story. End of the podcast. We'll see you guys next week. But buy it. <laughs> when I sit in judgment, the builder before me, and he asked, Karis, what hast thou built? I will answer thusly, I have built a church for thee, solid and good. And also for the countless structures. I have forged minions of children, wrought innumerable tools, all in your name. He will be pleased, and I will take my place by his side. <laughs>